Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. Axel Rose and Slash were spotted in a dairy diner last night. The owner, showing her appreciation, sent a fresh slice of pie to the table, unaware of Slash's longtime pie-phobia, causing him to run screaming from the diner. An eyewitness had this to say. The man with axe fled a crest dessert, and the gunsinger followed. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside C.M. Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Live for your crop, Constant Raiders. And today we are covering, we are finally getting to the Gunslinger, thanks to this Patreon selection from Mark Davitt. We are reading the Gunslinger, reading through the Waystation, and we have Ben leading our discussion. Ben, take it away. I, I, I'm... I'm terrified to get started. <laughs> we we have to say the words. That's how we start, right? The man in black fled across the, the desert, desert and, and the, the gunslinger, gunslinger followed. Sorry, I didn't know Chills. we were all doing it. <laughs> Chills every time. Every time. Oh, so good. It's can one sentence make you feel like you're home? <laughs> I was just about to say, do you guys did you guys feel a little deja vu right then? Yeah. Like we've yes. done this before. <laughs> Oh, yeah. no. oh, that's getting that's weird. Ahead. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. Huh? Wonder what that means. <laughs> anyway, I'm terrified to get started because this is the Dark Tower, you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, this is personally my third trip to the Tower. I can't. I've lost count, but I have more than one tattoo, of it. <laughs> and I'm afraid that I'm going to have more to say about how this story makes me feel than what the story is. <laughs> Uh, this is my second trip to the tower. Excellent. Uh, it, it's it's daunting. Yeah. <laughs> I have been looking forward to starting this book since we started this podcast mm-hmm. and uh, coming in, leading the episode for the first time in quite a while <laughs> for something that is really important to me. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> oh. To start out, what editions did you guys read? Buckle in. Okay. <laughs> this is already very severe. Oh, I, I'm working two jobs right now. I'm teaching on the weekends. So I have been listening to a lot of our books and I've read The Gunslinger, but now I was listening to it and I was very clear that I wanted the original version. I was not interested in the revised and some things just felt really weird and off to me while I was listening to it. So then I picked up the book and I started reading the book. And then I started making notes about all of the different, like comparison notes about all the changes. And I have so many feelings about the original version versus the revised. Uh, I'm, and the audiobook. I, I'm so glad that you read both of them because I'm reading the the illustrated editions which I believe are the original, I think. Oh. We'll find out, because I, I will let you know. <laughs> yes, so uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you read both, so you can be like, well, that didn't happen in, in mine. I, I do believe it's the original. There are a lot of things that make me think, I don't know what this means. <laughs> I feel like I have a, a similar feeling, because I, I'm pretty sure I'm reading the revised, because... When I read it the first time, I know that it was the original. 
And it could just be because it's been so long and I didn't know the things that happened later, but there was way more foreshadowing of future books mm-hmm. than I recall there being, namely naming Susan and talking about her a couple times. You were okay. reading the revised. Yes. Yes, because in my copy, they mentioned Susan exactly once. Ah, you are uh, reading the original. And a woman named Eileen several yep. times. <laughs> they cut her out of the revised. Yep. Ah. So <laughs> they, Stephen King. Their uh, <laughs> listeners will cover both, hopefully, it's adequately. Like- but I am going to be, be covering <laughs> the original edition. Good. It'll it- be like having two separate timelines in your brain at once you huh, know that's yeah that's weird hmm that's, wonder what that means <laughs> I anyway did say earlier i was jake <laughs> <laughs> uh let's let's get started uh a man in black is fleeing across the desert and a gunslinger one roland deshane is following him. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, ben got one sentence know, and so you sorry. are losing your shit. I just think this is interesting. When the male gaze is on a male, it's like, mm, he had a dusty open shirt and <laughs> hard pants and he had some water skins and these really cool guys. It's like describing all of his accessories. Don't know what Roland actually looks like nope. at all. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm just like, I'm picturing the invisible man basically walking around in dusty <laughs> Western clothes. <laughs> uh, he is, we we get a, a very, what's the word I'm looking for? A very sparse view of, of Roland at the start. Mm-hmm. He is carrying uh, a water skin. He's traveling with a nearly dead mule <laughs> and two Old sandalwood handled Ugh. guns slung across it's like his hips. Porn every time they're mentioned. It's so fucking cool. Do you, did you guys know that Stephen King, the character of Roland that he envisioned, he was very inspired by Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. in the old the man with Westerns. no name mm-hmm. in what uh, Fistful of Dollars? I just and... watched Fistful of Dollars for the first time a couple days ago. Nice. And I was told, I was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I love Idris Elba, I accept him yeah. as Roland as well. Horrible movie, not his. <laughs> you're you're getting way ahead. Sorry, uh, <laughs> we are not talking about that um, during this episode. <laughs> Does not exist. So before we get to uh, to our hero, I just want to talk about some of the awesome world building on literally page one mm-hmm. of this book. Oh, yeah, we are in the middle of a vast desert, a a nearly endless desert. It is covered in devil grass, weeds that we are immediately wary of. We uh, are told that the world has moved on, that there is a road running through this desert that has not been used in so long as to be completely forgotten. And also, we're told about the fifth level of Kef. Uh, Everyone's favorite bit of uh, (laughs) Dark Tower lore comes up all the time. (laughs) I Okay, this is where I've always felt this book was very romantic. It's like I, I describe it as a Western romance kind of thing, even though that doesn't really accurately describe it. But this is where we start getting the first inklings of what Roland's idea of romance is, because he's thinking about how thirsty it is, which is what you're talking about, Ben. And if he was at the eighth level, wouldn't even be an issue. But he's he doesn't feel like giving in to the thirst and to him. That's very romantic. And then later he builds his fire over the man in black's old fire. And that feels romantic to him. I have in my notes uh, to ask you, what does romance mean to him? Because it's... Irony? 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know. It's very I, strange. I, I felt that it was kind of his idea of right. He he has this sense that what he is doing is for the good, and his yeah. it, it's it's a like old tales of chivalry mm-hmm. kind of romance, I guess. Yeah, his. Romance is his journey. See, I, I felt that the romance was... He was finding romance in his singular purpose. Mm-hmm. He basically says that his focus is so singular, the universe as a whole doesn't even acknowledge him, and he is happy. Like, it pleases him that nothing in the world notices him but this singular purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that the... Um, yeah, I think his... I think he has tied focus and romance together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a very interesting character to be following. And it is a very romantic opening until we get the Raven Zoltan in his special jingle. <laughs> Before we get to, to we Brown's Shack... <laughs> We are given a little background, very little. Roland has been in the desert for two months. Uh, It has been two months since he exited the lowlands of his home country into the wasteland. He is following a trail of campfires that are almost runic in their presentation. He, he even thinks to himself, quote, perhaps the campfires are a message, message spelled out letter by letter. <laughs> Take a powder, or the end is nigh, or even eat at Bob's. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that, that idea of, like, he doesn't really care what they mean. Mm-hmm. It is just the, the idea that these are left to taunt him. Mm-hmm. Gives you an amazing insight into my favorite character in the book, I think, that does not show up in this section. (laughs) The Man in Black. Oh, yeah. We get just little bits of Roland traveling through the desert. He he says that he's come across two kinds of people. What does he say? Uh, Yeah, it's it seems like everybody is either crazy or they're they're like diseased. Yeah, and he... I mean, there's a word for it, but... Yeah, yeah. I forget what he says, but he says, when given the choice between the two, he prefers madmen. And (laughs) tells a story that he runs across a man who gives him a silver compass and tells him to give it to Jesus. Oh, yeah, give it to the man Jesus. Just Jesus. Oh. In the original. Really? Yes. That is added later on when the low speak is kind of... Brought more into the story. Interesting. But I I just love that Roland very, very earnestly promises him, yeah, uh, I don't expect to see him. (laughs) But if I do, I will immediately give this over. That's the romance. He's very realistic, but at the same time, he's willing to just take that thing and be like, sure, if it happens, (laughs) probably won't happen. (laughs) So uh, after a while, we come across a hut. In, in the desert. Who wants to introduce us to Brown and Zoltan? Uh, so the first thing that jumped out to me, and maybe this is just, maybe this is because I just finished reading Dune, hmm. but the very beginning of this movie is Dune. <laughs> like the, where <laughs> yeah. uh, Roland uh, spits in his crops and he says, life for your crops. And because this guy's just got this pitiful little field out 
outside of his house where he's growing corn, but he has a well, so he has access to some water. And and we meet Zoltan, who is just the best bird. Sarcastic raven. <laughs> <laughs> his introduction is alighting on the roof and yelling, screw you, and yeah. the horse you rode in on it, Roland. <laughs> and Roland's oh, like, fair enough. <laughs> the, the thing that made me also think that this was very Dooney was that the guy, he points out that he has blue eyes. And that, yeah. made, that made me no, think, like, you are there's, so a lot of, in Dune. there's a lot of really good, like, dudeness <laughs> to the beginning of it. I loved it. Uh, so uh, Roland comes up, and I love their interaction because Brown is, like, completely unfazed yeah. <laughs> that Roland is there. And Roland is, like, very polite, but also unnerved. Mm-hmm. Because he, throughout this whole interaction, basically, where they are together, Roland takes a while to figure out whether he's real or not. And whether he's yeah. going to kill him or not. <laughs> this, there is a very, this part is very surreal. Like my my favorite line actually when they're eating later and they're talking is when they're having this conversation and he's like, do you believe in the afterlife? I think this is it. It's like, oh my God, what a fucking thing to say. <laughs> but it, it sets the stage for how the reader feels about this world. It absolutely Like, it's not our does. world. Yeah. It, but, it's very dreamlike, because when he says that, if you have not read, if, if this is your first journey through, uh, to the tower, you're given nothing to indicate that he's not wrong. Right. That this is very, very much purgatory. Unless, unless you are <laughs> reading the revised version in which we lose a lot of that mystery of there are enough things that were like oh that that's recognizable stuff this must be like before modern day or like set like way 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 in the future when things have you know after some great war Mm -hmm. and things have sort of reset and it takes you a while to figure out you're you're not here but the revised version version gives too much in my opinion it's yeah having gone back knowing the end like Mm -hmm. uh i mean going back and revising the book knowing what Mm -hmm. king knew later on i can imagine how much would be added and i'm glad i read the original one honestly because i love that just the weirdness it's like uncanny yes it's like everything we are familiar with is kind of misshapen in a way like it's it's like, oh, that's ours. No, wait, is it? Is that ours? <laughs> Speaking of things being just a little off, Roland is trying to find out when this man in black mm. came. And Good we find luck. out <laughs> that time doesn't quite work right. He asked Brown, how long was it? Because Brown tells him, you know, this this man came through. We ate together. I, he I talked. talked. I talked. Yeah. I, I, talk, I, I did most of the speaking, which, which is, is unusual, strange. Yeah. And then he left. And Roland wants to know how long. And he says, more than two weeks, less than two months. Yeah. But that's probably wrong. <laughs> and that's probably wrong. That's how and I answer And my question <laughs> to you guys is, how fucking literal is this? Because knowing what I know, I had always assumed when he says time doesn't work, he is meaning it literally. Same. Because he does have a schedule like he uh, you would keep track of time that way. And the man who brings the beans does that on a schedule. So I feel like it would be easier than he's describing to Mm. us to keep better track of time. I mean, that's how I had always felt about it. I feel the opposite. I feel that the concept of time has there's no real way to track it. 
and he lives the same life every single day of his life by choice he chose to live out in this area and do the trading and yeah they do the man who brings the beans does come regularly but does the the bean man know how to keep a regular schedule does anybody understand the time that they are spending because there doesn't seem to be any way there seems to be no way that anybody we meet in this first reading at least has marked time whatsoever i think they mentioned that in toll there was a calendar (laughs) but that's it and it's been weeks since he's been in toll (laughs) (laughs) later though roll i think it's when roland is journeying through the desert again he comment he like makes reference to being in the desert for months or years Mm-hmm. So that that made me feel like time was also moving on. <laughs> that that was something that I was going to bring up because I remember the first time I read this, I I think I read the revised oh, editions. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> because I had the idea that this desert was much bigger than it says. I in in my imagination this desert is literally endless. It's the I, planet of Arrakis. Yeah. Y- yeah. <laughs> the, uh, and, We're going to have to do Dune like that Dune we cast. Had, <laughs> we had been in this desert forever. Mm-hmm. I think the description of time is used, is more used in a poetic fashion because there's also a point where it also gets into really weird territory because Roland talks about his hands doing things that he learned he's learned for a thousand years or his hands they 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 do yeah. the work they've been taught for a thousand years which is maybe literal maybe it's not because Toby don't have a firm answer to this question right. well, when people encounter him and they're like oh you're a gunslinger it's said with it makes it feel like gunslingers Are were ancient. gone long before what is reasonable for his age. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. It just makes it feel cool. Yeah. So Roland is accused of being a sorcerer. <laughs> he goes and fills up his water skins in the well and thinks about how easy he'd be to kill uh, <laughs> yeah. at the bottom of a well. Aren't we all really? Just doesn't worry about it. He's like, well, if that's what happens, that's what happens. Hey, did you get the feeling that he's... Because Roland doesn't seem like the trusting kind. He doesn't seem that nonchalant about... I don't I don't know. Well, weird. what we know also about Roland is that even if somebody tried to kill him from the top of that well, I bet he could fire a shot off in that time. Yeah. So if somebody's going to take him out, he's not going alone. But he also is very much given over to the... What will happen to me on this journey will happen to me. He's in that, as long as I keep trying after the man mm-hmm. in black, I will accept whatever fate comes my way. He's in that new relationship, romantic <laughs> phase where he knows that he and the man in black are destined. So mm. this bad thing can't happen unless it's part of that plan. Yes. And if it is part <laughs> of that plan, he accepts it. Very cute. Honeymoon phase. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a note that <laughs> just says piss on my corn. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever make notes that you think I'm just gonna like? I'm, I'll remember what this yeah, means. I'm just gonna say it in a few words. <laughs> yeah, no. Roland does. He takes a nap. He goes outside and pees on the corn. And they sit down to dinner of beans and corn. And Roland, very, very naturally, and not at all <laughs> uh, deeply psychologically scarred, asks if he can tell about the town of Tull. And in my notes, I wrote, Roland is super fucked up about Toll. He seems so hard, but he needs therapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 
it's really clear when, because I think he doesn't just start telling it right away, but right after that, he does really start to question this guy, like, are you a trap laid for me? And we find out why he might be worried about that later. And the guy's like, you know what? It seems like you won't be able to do this and feel good about it unless I ask you. So I'm asking you, share your story. It's very polite. Very, very polite. And so this turns into Roland laying on the long couch and uh, <laughs> telling Dr. Brown the story of Tull. A Doc Brown is a different thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was so excited to get, just to read Tull again, because this is, this whole first chapter that takes place in Tull is so burned into my memory that it was wonderful to revisit it and see all the things I'd forgotten. It's been over 10 years since I've read this book, so it was just wild. And the revised version shits on the most important part of it. Does it? But we'll get to it. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm excited Is to it that Hey that. Jude is played? <laughs> no, uh, we are introduced to Tull as he is walking into town. This is, what did uh, we say, two months yeah, two, two a previous ago. possibly <laughs> something. It's some amount of time ago, and Roland is uh, riding in with his healthy new donkey, <laughs> and he hears Hey Jude being played out of a honky tonk in just the shittiest little hole in the ground. Hmm. Uh, the town of Tull. His first thought is, I wonder if these are ghosts. That's, that's when you just completely natural. Don't go through that town. <laughs> I, I love that he thinks he sees these people, like a few people just walking the streets and he hears the singing and he thinks, ah, these, these could all be ghosts here. And he smiles to himself. I love that, that he's just like, I'm a fucking crazy fantasy cowboy man. This rules. <laughs> I also like how everyone we encounter with him, we get a description of basically how healthy they are or are not, which mm -hmm. puts me very on edge because it's like, what is happening in this world where this character is that that is a remarkable thing? Yeah, he... he uh, everyone has a health meter and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, the people are just like covered in, in sores radiation and sores and just the, the harshness of living in this awful dusty desert you can feel how old it makes everything mm -hmm. roland asks two kids how they're hanging which <laughs> calls is them dudes and calls them dudes which is super weird <laughs> gives you a weird thought i had not thought how old roland is at this moment yeah and i don't think he's that old right no, because we know what happens at the end of this mm. book, and I feel like that more places him at a specific age. Yes. Yeah, I think he's like he's in his 20s? 20s, like mid-20s. He's had to be out long enough to, you know, from whenever he, he got his guns to then find this journey and start mm. on it, and for his home to... It's, it's just it so funny because when in my head I think of Roland, I think of the Roland that we get for six books. Yeah. Yes. That is yeah. the older, grizzled. Who'd never uh, say dude. That's more Clint <laughs> Eastwood. Who would never, yes, yeah. that is more Clint Eastwood. And it, it is kind of jarring that you think, oh, this is like kind of young, still not inexperienced, but still young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Roland. he's kind of in his prime. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know he's in his 20s because, sorry, I just realized this. We get a remark about someone who we'll meet who had died was an old man. He was 35. Uh, That's right. Yes. So Roland is like probably early 20s, if that. <laughs> That's right. And we're about to meet the old man at Sheb's, 
where Roland goes, sits down, and immediately starts fucking throwing gold around. (laughs) That's a good idea. Never. Why not? Who's going to take it from him? (laughs) Well, someone immediately tries. Um, He sits at the bar and does not even look around. He, He orders three hamburgers, which immediately silences the entire place. I was say immediately sounded good. <laughs> also, also yeah. But just everyone is immediately like, that is so opulent as to be ridiculous. It, the bartender, who who I love, we'll talk about her, I assume, in a minute, mm. is instantly pissed because she's like, oh, God damn it, this is not good. <laughs> and uh, as he's sitting there, he doesn't look around but sees the reflection of a guy sneaking up with a knife in his hand behind him. And he just si- quietly says, go sit down. And he does. <laughs> I, I really like when he orders a burger from Allie, the bartender, the owner. And in the revised version, she tells him the meat is clean, threaded stock deer. And there's this whole part where he's like, in his to himself, like, bullshit. Yeah, there's I bet no way. Something there had like three eyes. Yeah, we are told that it is mostly deer. Mm-hmm. And Roland does think, like, he eats them and he's like trying not to think about what it's laced with, what, <laughs> which, what they cut the beef right. with. Yeah, which is a little more subtle and more interesting honestly <laughs> as he's eating he's looking around the bar and there's there's a man laying sprawled out on a table and this man gets up and approaches and roland can smell the the, the devil grass yeah and earlier he talked about how i think it was earlier he had to be careful burning it even like the smoke reaching him yeah because it would he'd hallucinate or get sick yeah that that uh the smoke of of devil grass they say is possessed by demons Mm -hmm. and that smoking it can can possess you and the next person who looks into the flame might see see you stand back it's like fuck you Uh, (laughs) and this motherfucker chews it yeah Yeah. as he's walking up he's smiling and he sees moss growing on his teeth and roland is revolted yeah Mm -hmm. he is like immediately he thinks to himself good god he's actually chewing it it's meth but worse, <laughs> yeah. it's demon. It's it's, it's demon meth. <laughs> demon meth. And uh, this man walks up and begins to speak in high speech. That was wild. Like Roland's <laughs> reaction to that being the fact that he has to collect himself mm-hmm. to be like, did I just hear what I think I heard coming from somebody who looks like this? Yeah, this is one of those moments where it says uh, it had been years, century, millennia since he had heard high <laughs> yeah. speech. I had took it literally the first time. It's probably a little more metaphorical than uh, at least than this I, yeah. one. Yeah, yes. I, I agree with that. <laughs> Nort, Nort, the weed eater, comes up and speaks to him in high speech. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it gave me a sense of familiarity he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And that was Roland's first indication of there is a lot more here than I'm aware of. You know what I should do? (laughs) Bang the bartender for information. (laughs) Yeah, this is okay. This is where it's her idea. (sighs) (laughs) Okay, so this Nort clears the bar out and Roland is left alone with Alice, the bartender. And he is asking for information on the man in black. And she says, you know my price. 
And he looks at her in a way that makes her cry. Yeah, she he describes that she's she's not an old woman. No. She has this scar on her face, a very large scar, and she's tried to cover it with makeup and it has made it stand out more. And she's kind of got a lumpy face, but she's she has a lean, healthy looking body. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I hate saying all these things. And she's like, you don't have to look at me like that. You don't have to be so cruel. And she puts her face in her hands and cries. And the part that I was like, you bastard, was when he's like, ah, she looks pretty good when she covers her face. Not because I can't see the scar, but because it gives her back some of her maidenhood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my note says, this sucks. <laughs> it's uh, I, I do like their how their relationship develops. So, and I like Allie. Like, yes. She's... The, this whole section, like, I would watch just a Western movie of just talk. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Roland is, Josh, you're probably looking at us like, what are you guys, what's your problem? He is leaps and bounds kinder to her in the revised version. He is a different character to her in the revised version than he, this. In the original, he is a absolute bastard. Like the mm-hmm. worst. Um, he goes and he sleeps with her, and he, he says uh, something describing her quote her scent, fresh lilac, pathetic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck! Uh, <laughs> what the fuck, Roland? She was kind enough to fuck you. Yeah, and he <laughs> acts like she's like not. She did there. him a favor. Anytime a woman touches a man's dick, she's doing him a favor. I, so if I'm, she, I'm kind on if she, CM if side she here, that's... is like, you need to, I, I won't tell you anything unless you do this to me. She's still the hero. CM Alexander. I'll put it in writing. <laughs> put it on a fucking yeah, t-shirt. It, <laughs> he, he does not treat her well. Oof. He treats her awful. I'm glad I read the revised uh, there's a part uh, a little later, another one of their bedroom sessions where he's trying to get more information about a different person who mm. we'll get to. And she doesn't want to answer. And she, she's taken by him and, and wants him to stay. She really likes mm. him. And in, in the OG version, she's like, will you make love to me if I tell you? Or, or no, he she says she doesn't want to tell him. And he's like, you know, you, or she says, you know, my price. And in the revised version, he's like, I'll do it even if you don't tell me. Yeah, it, it is. There's a lot. We'll we'll get more into Alice and Roland's relationship. But first, she tells the story of the man in black and the resurrection of North the Weed Eater. This is so gross. This is a <laughs> gross bit. The whole bit is gross because we also get some just real light details about Tull, like uh, the old man. And the casual incest. Mm, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, that's where Roland puts his mule. And one of the, Subi, the daughters, described as like this sensual child Yeah, it's thing. not yeah. good. It's very off-putting to read. Like, I get, yes. it was very effective. It's like, oh, yes. don't describe anything like that. <laughs> no, it, and it's, it is a light touch. It is just like <laughs> this awful thing. And you're just like, ah, Okay. <laughs> But even the things that aren't objectively awful, like we get people in Shebs raising the girls' skirts up and painting zodiac signs on their knees. I was trying to figure out what if this the hell was is a euphemism that? for something. Uh, it, it's just such a weird <laughs> that detail. That can't just be a thing you do. That means some sex stuff. I I just <laughs> took it as just more yeah. occult weirdness. Yeah. What else do they have to do in this town? Like nothing, exactly, except have weird Everyone's sex. Have, uh, <laughs> have weird sex and awake 
in the bar uh, where... Well, that's where wakes happen. <laughs> well, usually uh, the body isn't laid out across two tables in the middle <laughs> of the room Yeah, while everyone parties and drinks and screams. This is where you see what kind of person Allie is too because she shows a lot of compassion mm-hmm. when she is describing this person who was just the, the laughing stock, the person that everybody treated like they were nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she sincerely cared about, if not cared about him, like as a person. He she at cared least, about how he was treated. Yeah. So at the wake, the the doors fly open, and a priest, a man in all black, robes and a hood, uh, walks up to the bar, and Allie asks, "Are you a priest? I'm sorry, this must revolt you." And the man smiles and says, "I'm not," and it doesn't. <laughs> And that's the coolest fucking introduction to a character. He It's similar to when Roland walks in, sort of kind of this reaction to the stranger. And then he has he's paying for things that no one can afford. I love this, though. Mm. He pays with a silver. Yes. It is such a small difference. Yeah. But it is just that little bit of like discreetness mm-hmm. that he he's he's still flashy. But just, he's not showing off. Yeah. That's so fucking cool. (laughs) This is where, too, Allie's payment method to to give this information to Roland is made a little more clear. The things in this scene that she does, I think, are very interesting. Because it's it's talking about she she finally kind of sees the man in black's eyes. And she feels, you know, that want inside of her. And it's this thing that she's, you know, irritated that she has to deal with and can't really get relief and she's worried that these strong feelings that keep sort of assaulting her are part of the change and basically you know she lives in a world where that means you're practically dead like you're so old you're going it's like 35 probably (laughs) (laughs) i love Allie asks just a making conversation where are you coming from or whatever she asks and the man in black looks her in the eyes and says don't talk trivialities you're here with death and (laughs) As he's saying this and as things are taking a turn, you can feel it. Mm -hmm. A storm is rolling in. And as this begins, it just gave me the feeling of a revival happening. Ah, It's something that's so unexpected and kind of uncanny or just weird in that really unique way that I feel like if I was there, I would have laughed at first. And then realized my laughter was inappropriate and then got really uncomfortable and left. Yeah, it's it would be uncomfortable because he's so immediately theatrical. Yes. Taking court in this room Mm. and then proceeding to bend over the corpse and spit in his face and basically do a pommel horse routine. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) The way it's described, uh, my brain could not decipher what the physical nature of that pommeling was. Yeah, he he's bounding back and forth over these tables, and as he's doing it, people are reacting in terror. This would be the Sam Raimi-esque visual scene. Oh my god. Oh my god, yeah? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. The, the scene that you're like, with anyone else, this would be yeah. hilariously, <laughs> yep. like, dumb, mm-hmm. but he made it really, really unnerving somehow. Yeah, really upsetting. <laughs> And as he does this, Nort starts to kick and spit and opens his eyes and sits up. And everyone goes, fuck this! (laughs) 
Which I feel is the natural reaction to seeing somebody come back from the dead. Maybe like Allie, like yeah. just leaves. Like she's she could have been robbed, but she her ass was gone and upstairs. Well, she gets off first, and then she goes upstairs. Yeah, no, she Does totally not- jerks off behind the bar as he's doing that. What is that? That's not okay. What? I can't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah, she as he's doing that, it describes her hands working beneath the bar. Yeah. On herself. Oh, good for her. Yeah. It, but it's, that's, I guess that what, that's what makes it really just unsettling too because of what she's doing at this time. Yeah. It's very weird. In her defense, it's Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but I, I cannot read this anymore at all without picturing the man in black as Walton Goggins. Boyd Crowder from Justified. Baby Billy from The Righteous Gemstones. He's an amazing actor. And I I just can't not see he has that. He has this like wild black hair and this huge grin. He would be That's kind of how I imagined him in, in my He head. would be a Me perfect. too until now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the the story ends uh Basically, everyone leaves and Alice shuts herself upstairs. And when she comes down, the man in black is gone. This is, to me, the best part of this story, though, because Nort is sitting there at the bar. Nobody's there because it's scared everybody away. Mm-hmm. And he's chewing a mouthful of mm-hmm. devil grass. And he says that he was touched by God and he won't die now. And he also can't stop chewing the devil weed but he can't get high and he he says he could have made me not want it and that the it's, weight yeah. of that it is is crushing it is a curse he yeah. he is mm-hmm. cursed eternally and it is fucking tragic and, and just for the record josh the curse of the 19 is not in the original version. oh really mm-hmm. oh see. what is this oh. the number 19 has not uh appeared i'm very excited about this because then you accidentally set me up for something i wanted to talk about All because right. i believe there is in fact a revival that happens in this because nort In the revised version, Nort hands her a note that's addressed to her, written by the man in black. And it says, you want to know about death? I left him a word. That word is 19. If you say it to him, his mind will open and he will tell you what lies beyond. He will tell you what he saw. The word is 19. Knowing will drive you mad. But sooner or later, you will ask. You won't be able to help yourself. Have a nice day. Smiley face, Walter O'Dim. P.S. The word is 19. You will try to forget, but sooner or later, it will come out of your mouth like a vomit. 19. And okay, and this creates the problem I have at the end of this visit in Tull, which we'll get to. But it, it's also interesting because she tells Roland about that and he's like, never ever say that <laughs> like if you have to if you have to go upstairs and like lock yourself in your room and scream into a pillow do that because he's telling you the truth if you if you follow that note you will go mad <laughs> it also says that she immediately knew yeah i'm going to do that i it's am like, going to say it's it it's like a curse she yeah. com- has this compulsion yeah. to do it now it's just a matter of time wait and that part's cool but it ruins something for me later. i'm honestly i hate it Really? I, I, uh, uh, which is I agree, um, the I number 19 is obviously extremely important to me. I have planned for years the day that I finally get my first tattoo. It will be the number 19. 
I've got it on mine. <laughs> yeah, it's just obviously it's something that means something yeah. to me. But that is so it feels shoehorned. Yes, there's. We'll get to how this it gets resolved in this first part, the a second half of the results of this letter. And fuck the way it gets resolved. <laughs> All right, I liked it. I'll, uh, I'll tell you how it originally happens and then we can yeah. debate which one is cooler <laughs> so the story of the resurrection ends and alice begs roland to treat her like shit and stay and he's like nah god it's so much nicer in the room no she yeah. she's like it, it her she's written as like so desperate despite the fact that he's like whatever it, there's I don't a lot care. of like i she heard the shrillness in her voice and hated it. Yes, there things. is. She is made to seem so shrewish, and it's bullshit. I, I get it. In, in that, not not that it's the correct way, but this is a this man coming into town is the richest. Most attractive, well mannered, juiciest. No, Jake has the juice. Oh, yeah, Jake, we find out later. Jake has the juice. <laughs> oh, uh, he's the best thing that has ever come into this town. He's a catch, and she is a nobody from nowhere. This whole town is full of lost nobodies from nowhere whose lives are only going to get worse. Every day you see them is the worst day of their lives. Mm. So I get that um the desperation in her voice yeah. like she doesn't why would you want your life to lose this thing that is so special mm-hmm. even if it's not great for you <laughs> that does make sense and i do get it you just want Allie to be treated it still sucks <laughs> to read uh it, it is also it, i think it serves a purpose because i have written in my notes several times roland is not the hero of this story. God, that's so crazy. The, the note I have here is Roland means a lot to Allie in a short time, and it appears that he'll stay a while. No, like it, it no, it, it ruins becomes, it at the end. It, in sure, a way you don't know. No, it changes the thing you're talking about. Yeah, with, the, in original the original version, it makes it very clear Roland is a bad guy. Yes. Yeah, I've read the original. Oh, I'm well, sure when I, I don't. You'll know remember exactly. what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, it, Roland is like, yeah, whatever. I'll stay. Sure, whatever. I don't care. And he goes to meet old man Touchy uh, <laughs> to make sure that his mule is being looked after. I feel like his mule's being molested. I would not <laughs> doubt it. If there was just one sentence to be like, and the old man was, mm, I'd be like, ah, why would you tell me that? <laughs> so, well, he goes and finds out some information from the old man at the barn. We find out that the desert is 300 maybe a thousand miles long maybe uh, it's a thousand four years miles long. <laughs> is about new york to florida Dang. oh god which is pretty big yeah <laughs> the old man refuses to acknowledge that the resurrection happened but then says that the desert is probably full of demons because that's different demons are real <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I have so much. I have so many more notes about Roland just treating Alice like shit. Uh, Like, man, the revised version's way better about that. Four days of making sex on her uh, (laughs) is when that is the exact words. That's how I referred to my honeymoon. (laughs) uh, Is when Sheb busts in with a knife and Roland breaks both of his wrists without trying. Susanna's not mentioned here. Sheb is not part of that story, Josh. Crazy. Yeah. I love Sheb that. Sheb is part of... Sheb is from Susanna's town. He knows what happened. Allie asks, oh. like, who's this Susanna yeah. person? Who's this girl you obviously loved and he doesn't want to talk about it? 
Interesting. Because the when he comes in, it's Sheb who's playing Hey Jude in Wizarding Glass. Sheb is who's playing Hey Jude in that book. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a it's a cool thing. Uh, uh, and it. my final note is that he thinks about how uh, spending four days with this woman has made him slow and dumb because sure. he hates women. Anyway, moving on. It is now the Sabbath or whatever takes uh, <laughs> the form of the Sabbath. If in it's toll. Sunday. Yeah, it, it's the closest thing. It's yeah. church day. And Roland goes uh, to see, uh, see a sermon by a woman named Sylvia Pittston. Who I would argue is the twinner of Annie Wilkes. Uh, uh, I would argue <laughs> that, I mean, there are several characters that she could, uh, she immediately brought to mind the woman from The Mist because she is a zealot. Yes. The, the, the reason that comparison comes to mind is because she is much like Annie Wilkes in probably the same sentence referred to as a golem of a woman and a goddess. Mm-hmm. And, and that Roland is horny about it. I thought it was a trap from the man in black. And, and so does he. He he thinks he has left a demon inside her and he's super <laughs> weirded out. And my one note I wanted to know is that when she starts her sermon, my dear little brothers and sisters in Christ, Roland is struck by the one thing in the original version, a sense of deja vu, thinking, I've dreamed this. <laughs> nice. Weird. Anyway, uh, oh, she calls him the interloper, too. She's sort of addressing him. He's in the shadows by the door. Nobody can see him. But she's preaching about the interloper and definitely just talking directly. to Sorry, him, which is the, cool. She's the twinner of Buster Keaton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who Roland would also super be horny about. Yeah. Can we just talk about both scenes? Yes. The final morning when Roland goes to see Sylvia. Yeah, he busts down the door and she's sitting in a rocker. Smug as fuck. Just like, hey, like God impregnated me. I'm going to have, you know, the next coming of Christ. He's like, you're going to have the Antichrist. (laughs) And then he figures he can help her out. (sighs) He can take care of this problem for her. So he says, you have a demon. I can rid you of it. He aborts the child with his gun. He, He says, I can rid you of it while kneeling drawing his legs or spreading her legs and drawing his gun and she orgasms and i wrote oh no oh no oh no (laughs) all the sex in this is weird (laughs) go go figure in a king book if you gotta take out the antichrist i'm not gonna judge how you do it oh that's that's how you have to do it yeah you you gotta use excalibur that's the only way (laughs) so after this happens she sends him out she says you've you've killed the baby and he's like there was no fucking baby idiot and she's like that this will basically i can't remember if this is og or revised like this will be worse for you later this is gonna come back (laughs) is in the original do they refer to do they drop the crimson king no okay they do in in the revised where basically she says that she is going to give birth to the crimson prince Oh, yeah. No, that is not in the original. Oh, yeah. So he he goes and he, he's found out that there are mountains behind beyond the desert. That's pretty much the only information that Sylvia had is maybe there are mountains. <laughs> but that satisfies him. And he goes to get his mule. Sidesteps. Subi. Subi. I fucking love this. She comes at him from behind swinging a piece of wood and he like dodges the attack and is just like, Stop it. <laughs> like, gee, he just lets it go. Like, he, she tried to brain him, but she's so far beneath him 
and could never, could not attack and hurt him, that he's just like, knock it off. And then she sulkily starts sucking on her thumb. Yeah. It, it's it's gross. Unsettling. <laughs> um, so uh, Roland is like, I got to get out of town. And he starts heading back to Sheb's and finds it deserted. He he thinks to himself, this is the trap. This is the trap that the man in black has sprung on him. And now it's happening. And he thinks to himself, of course this is happening. He is, after all, the interloper. Yep. About himself. Roland is telling us he is not the hero of the book. <laughs> and he proves it mm -hmm. by immediately gunning down Every single living person in this it town. It fucking but rules. The most, it does rule. The most it upsetting. Does rule. <laughs> the most upsetting one, though, because the first person he encounters, the the townspeople just start coming out of their houses and stores. They all have weapons. Nobody with a gun, but you know, makeshift or knives or whatever they could get their hands on. And Sheb has mm. Allie held hostage and she's screaming, help me, help me, no, don't. And without a second hesitation or thought, it, he describes it as his his hands and, you know, basically just Doing did their trick. work. He guns her down and doesn't even think about it. Like it a is, hero. It is. <laughs> no. It, Have you uh, never seen a zombie movie? That is, he saved her from a fate worse than, What are you talking about? There are no zombies. No, but. What? <laughs> If if she if this if she is the lone unaffected person by this trap, let's say let's just put that on the table. Okay, because everyone else she's been taken hostage. No other hostages have been taken. Putting yeah. that on the table. If Roland like Roland can't save her and bring her with that's he, he can he can't he oh he almost doesn't survive by himself. He can't take her with. He cannot take care of I'm, her. If he were to leave town, I'm just with these gonna people, go ahead and point out that you are arguing in favor of uh, mindless murder. It's not mindless. They're monsters. They would rip her to shreds in front of him if he didn't do her the mercy of taking her out. Can I tell you guys, this is my favorite part because it was, there's one other part in a little bit. This part I always remembered and always stuck out to me because of how much you come to care for Allie and how you think he's going to help her because he's, he's kind of shown her some tenderness here and there and the brutality and calculation and coldness that he just cuts her down like that when i read this as a teenager blew my mind as like oh, this that because i was a kid and i wasn't like reading as critically that's when i was like is this guy not the hero it was <laughs> i and i loved that's that happening to me wild because no he is the he is a villain the this is an objectively evil thing he is like so 10 years ago when i read it that happened and yeah it blew my fucking mind because i expected him to rescue her mm -hmm. but i was like after after everything i was like I get it. Like no. that's it, it I is, know whose house I'm going to in a zombie objectively <laughs> a bad thing that he has done. This is this is the second part of of the nineteen when Sheb's holding her hostage. She yells that uh, she begs Roland to kill her because she said nineteen and knows the truth. Yeah. See, that doesn't happen in the original. Right. One. That's, that's, that's the and and this is why I don't like the revised version as much because I liked what his choice to just do that. I liked what that did to me as a reader that I was surprised it by is, that and the nineteen part makes and all it, the other bits of her makes him, him seem it, it, yeah. because that does make it to where he uh, oh he is saving her from the madness and evil of the the man in yeah. black in both versions but in the original her from the the only thing that the trap is is 
the people, the, the, the zealotry of the people believing that God wants him dead. And that has, I do not believe that they are going to hurt Alice. Oh. I think that they are doing that to get him to stand down. And he doesn't. He shoots her to death. With one shot, very mercifully. But uh, uh, going back to, um, we'll talk about it uh, later this year. But the mist, mm-hmm. the like that's they that's what Mrs. Carmody does. She she takes the the woman and like makes her. The, everybody stabs her to death in front of spoilers in front of mm-hmm. our hero in hopes. It, like no matter what he was gonna do, she was gonna die. I I just I prefer this because I like that it makes him for me as a reader, and I get why people prefer the other two it makes him a complicated character yes i i, and wanna, I, and I like that yes. journey like you're not necessarily always on his side no but he is I, your hero i so. completely agree with that and i'm not saying like i'm not saying he's not the hero of the story we should not like oh, no, I, <laughs> no, I, that I, is not you what and i'm I saying yeah totally on the same in. page <laughs> it's i because i i love the fact coming up onto this episode, I was excitingly, excitedly telling people we're finally doing the gunslinger, <laughs> and I got so many people saying, "Oh, I don't like that book," um, because because of Roland as a main character. They're like, "I don't like Roland as a main character because he's a bastard," and I'm like, "Yeah, I get that because he is." In the first book, and then we get six books of his redemption arc. Yes. And that makes it way more valuable and special to me than the revised. Yes. For, for me yes. personally, I'm not arguing one is better than the other. Just the journey that I took with this book originally, mm. there's so much more at stake. It's it's so thoughtful and, and that it tonally, because that's why it was revised so that King could make it fit a little more with the other books in the series. Mm. And I totally get that. And and the thing, there are some really cool things in it and just phrasing that is slightly altered that matches the writing style of the other books a little bit. And the, I, the lore. It the brings lore. in the lore. I don't like it because for me, part of my journey in reading these series is that I get to see the author's journey. Like I get to mm. see him develop this world and character. So when he goes back and he adds these elements mm. to it, it robs me of a really cool element. And I get that other people that might draw them out of the story because it, they'd be kind of thinking more outside the book about how this was created and developed. For me, I like that element. Th- there's such a sense of discovery yes. in the original version because he's making it up as he goes along. <laughs> yeah. And and as it goes on, once you get into the later books and the stuff that they went back and had to add back into the first one. But when it shows up just like two or three books in, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like I uncovering love- a mystery. Yes, I, I love that. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. So all told, when the dust clears, 39 men, 14 women, and five children are dead dead in the road of toll. And Roland tells Brown, why would I feel bad? I argue that is a lie. <laughs> I argue yeah. he yeah. feels miserable about it. He feels fucking it. terrible. Right? He's a very black and white thinker. So I think there's a, a level of him that does feel that, but I think mm. he does not recognize that on a conscious level. I, I would agree because uh, there's this line at the very end he says he was a romantic and he guarded the knowledge jealously. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what why would I feel bad is. Yeah. yeah. Because romantic, here's my note, romantic, an idealized view of reality. Mm-hmm. I believe that he knows 
I'm doing this for quote unquote the greater good, but I'm fucked. Everything that happens is necessary. It's wouldn't life be better if I meant this? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So Roland moves on from Brown and, and leaves him to tend to his corn. And we catch up with him 16 days later on the brink of death. God damn. (laughs) This part is cool. And this isn't worth talking about, but I just want to mention it. It's the nursery rhyme is a little different in the other version, which is all these weird little changes that don't change much. And then there are these really big changes. It's kind of interesting, but I love just the way because you see him in his first journey that we're with him in the desert. And he's like, I'm. I could be thirsty. Doesn't matter to me. (laughs) I'm a hard ass. And now he's like basically dying in front of our eyes and he stumbles and he didn't want to fall. He's, he's so proud and he's, he scrapes his hands and they bleed and he's like, the blood seems, what's the word I'm looking for? Smug to him. Yes. But then he sees the blood like get absorbed instantly into the the dirt and he's like, (laughs) take that blood. (laughs) I I love the thought. He has this string of delirious (laughs) delirious thoughts about, he he says, you know, why would the blood be exhausted? The blood is being served. Mm -hmm. The sacrificial blood. It's just (laughs) so unhinged. Much like the Fremen on the planet Arrakis. (laughs) (laughs) When, I, yeah. I love when it. they take their dead and uh, give all the dead's liquid to the sand. Oh. Uh, so we Roland Dune's a good book. Guys. Roland uh, across the the desert sees two buildings and he he hikes up his still suit and <laughs> sees in the shadow of the buildings a figure on the ground and thinks at last the man in black draws his gun and runs the final quarter <laughs> mile. And, Amazing. It's fucking awesome. I love, though, he's so delirious when he gets to this person. It, we find out it's a little boy, like nine years old, Jake, and he stands up and he's like, the man in black has shrunk. And yeah. he's all like... <laughs> pale now his hair turned white he's all old what happened and then he passes out yeah then he gets sunstroke (laughs) face first and when he wakes up nine-year-old john jake chambers future gunslinger is uh (laughs) crouching over him having drenched him in water who i believe we can agree is the hero of the story yes well yes yes Uh, jake is instantly instantly the best yes it doesn't matter what? No, I just No, I want to know. No, it's just it's interesting the way we're following Roland, but then we're introduced to this character who is everything good that Roland doesn't have, but just as hard, like not quite mm-hmm. at this moment, but there's that thing in him. It's probably this description of Jake is probably the reason we on this podcast constantly are like, "Oh, you oh, know, Alan Pangborn's a gunslinger yeah, yes, and stuff yes. like that." It's just so freaking cool. And I wish we could, we can't, but I wish we could talk more about it because, (laughs) you know, if if for people listening to this who this is their first time. Mm -hmm. Jake's journey is, is, I think, I mean, one of the best in literature, in my opinion. It it is just as important as Roland's journey. Mm -hmm. I think he is throughout the series the secondary protagonist. Oh, yeah. uh, Even more than Eddie and Susanna Mm -hmm. and whom I love, who obviously are amazing. It's, crazy to love two other characters so much but this one is above that somehow yeah how can you how can one person get 
Like four people I fucking love in one book. (laughs) (laughs) Roland sits up and finds out that Jake had seen the priest. And he he didn't talk to him this time. He said, I don't like people. They fuck me up. I wrote, me too, buddy. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, he hid from him because he has good instincts. Well, and we find out he did see him once before. And on some level, probably knew that. Yeah, he's two or three weeks behind the man in black now. And his he's so excited about this news that he doesn't really care that Jake is on the border of hysterics the mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah, he's like, hey, kid, you're upset. Don't be upset. <laughs> it's not his problem. He's hot. He's hot. He's not a kid person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's not a people person. He, he is not. Uh, I love that he, he when Roland asks like when he hears that he had seen the man in black, he gets really excited and goes, how long ago? And uh, the book says there, there was something in his face that caused Jake to recoil. And his immediately res- immediate response is, Roland goes, I'm not going to hurt you, <laughs> which is not reassuring. Right. Yeah, Jake almost stabs him with a pitchfork in his sleep. Yeah, and I love Maybe that. he was a little justified with yeah. that instinct. Yeah, he's like, I, the next day he's like, I'm glad I didn't murder you in your sleep. <laughs> Roland takes a second to note that Jake looks Juicy. too healthy. Yes, uh, quote, he has the juice and he didn't come from this See, place. I wasn't being weird when I no, said juicy. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no, CM was not randomly calling a, ju- a child juicy. Important. And so he asks, where are you from? And Jake doesn't know. He knew when he first came here, but he doesn't know now. I love that, that he's just forgetting day by day a little bit more. And like he's like, if you ask me tomorrow, I might not know my name. I love, too, that he's like, I'm from a place where I lived up high with a patio. There's a statue in the water and other statues sold us clothes. (laughs) That's my favorite line. There were other statues and they sold clothes. And he's like, are you lying? And he's like, I must be because that's bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then... As a result of that, Roland does something which is like you're okay. Him shooting up the whole town just awesomely was the first kind of like, ooh, gunslinger thing. This is the next one. Yeah, this is such a cool bit of world building. Like, like the Kef, it just Mm -hmm. gives you this brief look at like just how almost mystical the gunslingers Mm -hmm. are because he pulls out a bullet and starts making it dance across his fingers like a coin would. Something I always fucking wished I could do. I know. Right? I can do it with pens. Can't do it with a coin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little different when I I imagine they're pretty big bullets because his gun is enormous. Mm -hmm. But still. Yeah, because he he uses this to hypnotize Jake. And you don't realize what he's doing at first. And then Jake goes under and you're like, cool. As he's doing this, there's this bit I really love that he he sees Jake go under and then he looks down and he sees the bullet and says it feels undead, horrific, and is briefly like shocked and and unnerved by the bullet in his hand. And he grabs it and squeezes it in his fist. And it gives me this feeling like he knows that what he's doing now is using this boy. He's, in some part of his mind, he knows that what he's doing is using it just the same way that the man in black is using him by putting it yeah. in his way. It felt like it was a his first premonition because he has a premonition later that he recognizes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he didn't 
recognize this as a premonition that by engaging with this kid and doing this thing and discovering his story, he is linking them together mm-hmm. in a way that can't be undone. Yeah. Quote, rape and murder and unspeakable practices and all of them were for the good, the bloody good, for the myth, for the grail, for the tower. I also love this is the first time, like the character of Jake is the first time Roland does for us like question his journey like okay is this really for the good and i and i just love that jake has the ability to put that in him and i mean he ultimately mm-hmm. decides yes it is but it's just cool that he can have that doubt yeah it's just that that recognition that not all of the things that i do are good yeah i i am doing them for this purpose that is ultimately good but but these are not <laughs> yeah there's a sense of when he realizes that yes jake is a part of this now but jake didn't ask to be a part of this i chose this everything mm-hmm. that happens to me i deserve the th- Things that happen to other people, they don't deserve that. But everything... That bothered me, because he goes, oh, I asked for this. But, quote, he had not asked to be allowed to turn his guns on the unarmed populace of Tull. You are not allowed to murder a bunch of people. You chose to. But it was real fucking cool. It was was really cool, guys. This is very important that you understand. (laughs) I can't overstate. We're going to bitch about how mean it is, but it was super badass. You guys are going to bitch about it being mean. I think it's Uh, great. (laughs) I love murder. Um, uh, So Roland uh, hypnotizes Jake, and we see... Uh, a little of uh, Jake's history. What a fucking bummer. His oh life God. sounds mm-hmm. like it is very, he is a very blessed uh, as far as the lifestyle he gets to lead. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he has those, the same pitfalls. His parents, he, they make a lot of money. They have a really nice place, but they're busy. And so he's like raised by nannies and tutors. I think his mom gets drunk and sleeps around. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, and his dad does coke. Yeah. His relationship <laughs> with his parents are summed up best by the quote, his father worked for the network and Jake could pick him out of a lineup. Yeah. Probably. It, Fuck. It says that they, his parents didn't hate him. They overlooked him. Yeah. And then he, when he, he has no friends and he, he's not old enough to hate himself, but the seed is there. Oh, and he, he's sad. just like, rich white kid from a good family who it's described like typically you'd have this heartwarming story about the people who take care of him like the house cleaners and and all Mm. the the cook and stuff you know kind of take to him and they're like a second parent but that doesn't happen no it's all just a job yeah and he like you said josh he has no friends but he he's charming and people like him and girls notice him much to their parents delight but he's too mature he's taken on the personality traits of the people who work for him basically Mm, he's like a little adult yeah and uh he he's he walks to school whenever he can one day while looking at the mannequins selling the clothes (laughs) he is pushed by a man in black into the street where he is run over by a car and dies staring at his own hands. This, it's written so descriptive mm-hmm. and so disgusting, and your heart breaks for everything. And, and you have these little moments of like, thank God he's in such shock. Yeah. Because King does not shy away from describing the horrible injuries as he's run over by this Cadillac. 
And I, and I forget the impact of this having read on through the series that what it must feel like, I kind of wish I could feel it again, to be given this knowledge of him dying, but he's telling the story. Yeah. Just waiting for that payoff of like, how? <laughs> what yeah. happened? I just love that the, one of the last thoughts is him thinking about how badly he skinned his knees. Because that's what his concern is. Yeah, he was aggravated that he skinned his knees. And he sees a man uh, pushes his way through the crowd and he's like, let me through, I'm a priest. And it's the man in black. Uh, I I do like that Roland lets him forget. He's like, do you want to remember this when you wake up? He's like, no, I bled. bled." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is kind of a fucked up not to just know. (laughs) Do you want to remember dying? No? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, So is is that how it is in the original? It just says, uh, no, I bled? Yes. Yes. Because in the revision, in the revised version, it says something to the effect of, no, I tasted my own shit when it came out of, when it Ah. was all crushed out of my mouth. That's too much. And I was like, fuck. That's pretty graphic. That is very graphic. (laughs) I might have said it a little more vulgar than it is in the book, because that's just the impression it was left on me, but it was rough. So, um, Roland lets Jake sleep, thinks about what it means that Jake has been left here for him. And he's afraid that he says he, he quote, stinks of predestination, mm-hmm. which is a great line. He's another trap. There's a bit, too, that he, Roland later, he's, I think they're both standing on the porch looking up at the stars, and he identifies uh, Polaris and Mars. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I keep saying in the revised version, I feel like an asshole. No, it's in the original, too. It's, Oh, I'm sorry. It's but it, it's different. It's old star and old mm. mother in the revised oh. version. Which a part of me is like, oh yeah, that's cool. I recognize that. And the other part of me is like, but him seeing Mars stuff like that, we recognize, that we would knew. I, I have makes it, me it, feel so out of place because I'm like, okay, where is this? Is this our world yeah. or not? Because when he hears New York described, he says no city that of that description has ever existed. Yeah. So. It's where are what? we? It's yeah. so subtly the, cool. In the revision, he says that same thing, and except at the end of it, he says, "Except for maybe in the, the in city the, of Lud." Like, oh this, no, yeah. no, 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 no! He, he just says, "He says yeah. no city of that description has ever existed, unless in the law, lo- uh, like in the ancient past, lost to history or something." So it, it makes yeah. you think maybe like our present day world is their ancient history, right. but then in the revised version, when it just identifies those, you're like, "Those aren't things I know." <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, there. There's a moment where he's thinking about old times, and this is where he mentions court and Eileen question mark, <laughs> um, right. and mentions Martin the Enchanter as a separate entity as the Man in Black, which is a mistake of my memory because I remember I thought I remembered them being the same person. <laughs> he says he thinks they might be brothers or twins or something. Yeah, um, but he says it in such a way that. It seemed like a haphazard way of saying that's the only way I can allow myself to reconcile this, but I know they're the same person. Uh, that's mm-hmm. reading a lot. I did not get any of oh, that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of how. No, I it's just the... an offhanded like. Oh, oh and Martin also. Huh. Uh, well, no, well, yeah, and they say he. Uh, Jake says, "Are is that the man in black?" And he's like, "Nah, they're like." But they could be something. brothers or whatever. Yeah. The, this is also where we get the one mention of Susan in the original, mm-hmm. and uh, Roland immediately just kind of l- says he laughs bemused, 
which is not the right reaction. <laughs> um, I have therapy in all. all uh, oh, I don't think letters she knew again. What, what happened to Susan. No, yet. at this point, uh, I don't think so either, because she's just mentioned as Susan, the beautiful girl in the window. Yep. The next day comes, and Roland decides to check the cellar this for is my goods. The, oh, the mutant spiders. I That is something that has been burned in my memory forever. <laughs> Just that they mentioned that it's been closed up for so long. Mm. Some of the spiders have eye stalks. Yeah. And- Fucking A. Yeah, Jake, they don't have a lot of food. And he's asking Jake if there's anything else. And he's like, there's a cellar, but I don't go down there because it's creepy as hell. And it is the only place that smells like nothing else smells. Everything's so dry and desert like. And so he goes down there. And and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I think, so I won't repeat it. But when I I had reread this, I think for the second time when I was in my early 20s and the scene of him because he goes down there and he's getting cans and stuff. And then he feels like this presence and there's this sand coming through a hole in the wall and it's this demon and he gets this information out of it and then he reaches in and he takes the jawbone and it's like this ritualistic he's like i don't want to do it but it you know ritual demands or whatever demands that i have to do this i had the most vivid disturbing nightmare i've ever had in my entire life and and i didn't even think anything of the scene when i read it but i had this crazy nightmare and i was like Oh, that must have done something to me that I wasn't aware of. It it was so cool. I I love the yeah the matter of factness that he faces down a demon mm-hmm. with, and he's very obviously terrified. Yeah, like it is not made to seem like he's just like oh yeah hey what do you want? <laughs> yeah, he is, he is terrified of uh the voice of Alice coming from the wall, but he has to do it. And it gives a warning. It gives a warning saying, uh, go slow past the drawers, gunslinger, while you travel with the boy. The man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. And that is so cool because as soon as he comes back up, Jake was freaked out and he told him, he's like, get out of here. Jake comes running to him crying. He thought that it got him. And as he's holding this crying boy's juicy crying boy to him. <laughs> No. Sorry. (laughs) He thinks that he's like, he loves this kid. This is the moment that he began to love the boy, which he thinks that's probably why this kid's here. There is no more powerful trap than a trap of love. Mm -hmm. They leave and we catch up three days of travel later and the mountains and active living greenery are are visible in the distance. That felt good for me to read too because yeah. this book is so well described as being just brown and dusty that when I read green, I was like, oh, I felt relieved for them. <laughs> we get a lot of really cool stuff too with Jake, mm-hmm. with Roland recognizing like that inner strength in Jake. He, he's worried because Jake is not slowing him down. Mm. Uh, and that unnerves him because he's like, if, if he slowed me down, I would understand. Because, oh, oh, the trap is to get me to slow down Mm -hmm. so I don't catch. But he's starting to get the feeling that the man in black wants him to catch up. He is meant to catch up with the man in black. And that scares him. He he hypnotizes him again and puts him down because he, he... has a bit of sunstroke almost. And so he, he says, this day, every day, we're going to rest. 15 minutes. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> and he takes his time to uh, think about his old friends 
And he likens himself to David the Hawk, and then immediately likens the Hawk to Martin the Evil Sorcerer and transitive property, my man. <laughs> uh, anyway, he. this is where we get a flashback to Roland training with Court and his friend Cuthbert. Cuthbert? Cuthbert. I always call it Cuthbert. Uh, that sounds right. Cuthbert is, like, I love all the characters, but Cuthbert is, like, one of my mm-hmm. favorites. He's great. It <laughs> makes me so excited for three books from now. Right, yeah. I, yeah. I hope somebody picks it. <laughs> this is really cool, too, because the way that everything has been described so far and time has been discussed, it it is jarring to see such a completely different world than what we're in now within this person's not very long so far lifetime. Mm-hmm. Just about, it's described as like a sort of medieval Merlin era kind of mm-hmm. society. Yeah, Merlin and Arthur are specifically mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roland is thinking about them training with Court and Court knocking Cuthbert upside the head. And saying, when you think you can come for me, yeah, when yeah. you think you can come for me. Fucking Which is he calls him my favorite piece of uh, <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> and basically they punishes them by saying that they can't have he can't have dinner and roland is like we'll go to hacks he's one of the cooks in like the southwest wing and anytime court says people can't eat hacks will feed you on the he loves kids yeah like and he loves Mm -hmm. them all equally yeah yeah in in one page one page of hacks is all we get and you're instantly like oh this is a good guy yep and immediately they overhear him speaking to a guard about the good man and poisoning the city of Farson. And Roland's first thought, just hearing as as they walk off, is he thinks, I could have killed them. I oh. could have slashed their I, throats. And I love that because of it, it's because of what it did to him. It forced him to grow up in a way he wasn't prepared for. It taught him a really hard, cruel lesson and, and robbed him of, not that he really had, you know, they're not described as really having a childhood mm-hmm. as we think of it, but it robbed him of, of a bit of innocence from a person to who they trusted and, and respected. Because the punishment for this, uh, this is treason. Yes. And so he knows that he he tells his dad and he's going to be hanged. This is a crazy uh, bit, just his conversation with his dad. Because Roland's dad is such an outsized figure in his life. And yet we get very little of him. Yeah. But the face of your father is so important. I don't know. Could he pick him out in the lineup? Uh, I'm going to guess so. As long as he's wearing that blue chambray shirt. He could not forget the face of his father. But his dad says, why? Why are you telling me? You you feel like you've killed this man. Why are you telling me? And Roland says, justice. Or he says, I'm doing it because it's treason. and It's for the good of. And his dad says, no, fuck you. That's unworthy. That is Mm -hmm. an unworthy reason. And Roland's response is like, no, no, I'm not unworthy. I just wanted to fucking kill him. I wanted them. I wanted them dead because of what they did yeah. to me. And he's uh, his father is like, uh, yeah, that's that's better. It's not moral, but I love this you line. Don't need morals are beyond you. Yeah, and that right there made me go, oh, Gilead is fascist. <laughs> no, well, this describes- it's a fascist society. Uh, yeah. it's not great. This no. describes. The first half of our conversation about who Roland is. Yeah, it, it is. It, morals are beyond him often. What are morals? Josh. <laughs> uh, taking some real hard stances this episode, bud. <laughs> but it, it, it 
it made me rethink this society because, yeah, I the first time I read when I think of like the before uh, of Gilead, it seems like this, you know, high fantasy mm-hmm. world. Romantic. A very romantic world. And then between that and at the the hanging, the fact that the crowd admires Hacks, the crowd's on Hacks's side. Yeah. The crowd is against the gunslingers. That's th- that man is really <laughs> interesting. That it, it gets into stuff that we find out later. Yeah. But it, I, I don't think it is so much that the people are against the gunslingers more so the that royalty. the good man has twisted. Like well, the, the, you, the good man has come in and is taking those feelings and using it for his exactly. own Exactly. Like you can tell you, you just from the conversation you overhear with hacks and the guard, it's very clear that the good man has been secretly making his way around and basically raising an underground army that is willing to do things like poison a city full of innocent people just to send a message mm-hmm. for for the overall good mm. it is it's, who does that sound like right it, it's it's that Roland? same both both for of the- these sides have such extreme like whatever delivers the message with maximum force mm-hmm. so that no one will argue the message is what both of these societies are doing. Um, Cuthbert and Roland get to the hanging early mm-hmm. to get a good place. And they watch and they are, they have bread. They drop bread. Yeah. Court uh, gave him bread and told mm-hmm. him to put it under the body. And on the way back, they're kind of riding silent and Cuthbert essentially not in a very convincing way is like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we did that. <laughs> I like that. I liked it. Yeah. I yeah. liked that. Yeah. Roland's and like really shockingly tried. Roland's like, I didn't, but you know, I, I am glad we went. I guess yeah. I liked it though. <laughs> but I feel like that's, that was Cuthbert. Like, Trying this is what to, I'm supposed to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Playing the part. Yeah. So, so they, they, they ride off and we find out that 10 years later, the land has fallen. His father is dead. He has murdered his own mother, and the world has moved on. It's a uh, stunning epilogue to a very short story about hanging someone for treason. <sighs> we cut back, and it's two days into the foothills. Jake looks up and points out that they can see the man in black. That's fucking crazy. That, like I geeked out the hmm. first time that happened, and I did it again because I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> I knew they got eyes on him at some yeah. point, but I couldn't remember when. And it being right here in the way it's described just as this this speck that for a second might not be a person, but then they move. Mm-hmm. And they move so smoothly. I'm imagining like a rock climber. <laughs> I'm imagining Spider-Man. Yeah, because he <laughs> says- a rock climber. They can, that's true. Uh, yeah, that he's he's moving up sheer surfaces yeah. and, and seeming to jump impossible distances. And as he sees it, Roland looks at Jake and intuits- an ending coming and he says it it always ends this way it always ends on the killing ground and just as they the the dark comes and they turn in for the night roland thinks of the boy as the sacrifice before falling asleep and that's where we're leaving our boys off Ooh, what a great (laughs) spot to leave off I, this has been so crazy 
to finally revisit this book. And I've really enjoyed the discussion mm-hmm. we've been having with the the original versus the revised. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine if there's more left in the second half that's obviously going to get crazier. <laughs> uh, guys, I'm so happy we're doing this. I, am I love it. I love it so <laughs> fucking much. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be finishing The Gunslinger. For Benjamin Graham and CM Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you, once more with feeling, as they say in the world next door. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Gunslinger Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to Mark Davitt for picking The Gunslinger as part of his tiered reward on our Patreon. If you want us to cover your favorite Stephen King book, you can do that at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. And while you're there, check out all of our bonus episodes that you won't get anywhere else. This month, we brought back one of our favorite guests, Justin Markson. He plays Clown in the movie Haunt, and he played the Paul-like character in our Dairy Public Radio short, and he's just a fantastic guy. We had him on to talk about the Mick Garris-directed Stephen King screenplay, Sleepwalkers. Again, that's patreon.com slash dairypublicradio if you'd like a fun way to help us with some of the costs of running our show. And I say fun way because even though Patreon is for listeners to help support us, we still throw a lot of perks and merch at you, including discount codes for our shop. We put a lot of work into making our Patreon worth your while and creating extra content as a thank you for donating to us. So check it out, listen to our bonus episodes, and if you hate it, okay, Josh isn't here to stop me, then you can cancel it. And don't forget to check out our Etsy store for Dairy Public Radio and Stephen King merchandise. Thank you to everyone who has visited our store and made a purchase. If you see a design you like but not a product you want it on, email us and we'll see what we can do for you. And one more thing before I let you go. We have been dying to cover The Gunslinger. Mark made that happen for us and all of you. So thank you again to Mark and all of our other patrons, who I will now name in the order of most awesome to most awesome. Zach Dion, Biz, Peter Grubbs, Patrick M., Megan Ongers, Julie Weber, Bailey McMillan, Taryn, Catherine Hinkle, Tim Straw, Lisa Giesler, Joanna Keller, Joan A., Kevin McCoy, Candace Sockold, Becky Dion Johnson, Brett Pape, Lisa Daly, Elizabeth Trudeau, Evelyn Kovacs, Mary Kristen Farah, Bill Kimir, Robin Nickerson, No Name, Brock Salisbury, Aiden White, Sean K.T. Shirashi, Edward Serbone, Ricard Wennerholm, Jeremy Bruner, Chris Skellerly, Kirian McCod, Molly Zaleski, John Fidel, Mark Davitt, Penelope Doit, Sean Weldon, Aaron, Amanda Pease, Jared Hazelwood, Kevin Sundstrom, Michael Schaefer, Riley, Dan Elder, Rachel Jansen, Chuck Adams, Julia Marchesi, Lacey Hansen, John Salnier, Michelle, Don Burr, Brad Hahn, Joel Jones, Amy Lawless, Casey Bauer, Bill Graham, Jennifer Dolge, Matt Kendall, Spanky, Lisa Kahn, Phil, and Jeremy Marr. Thank you all so much for your support. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.